You may be seated. At this time, the sprouts can be dismissed. Children, kindergarten and younger, can go with our sprout workers. Let's give our sprouts and the workers a little round of applause here as they serve our little kitties. And Jung and Deborah, thank you so much for joining us today. You guys are some of my favorite people in this world, and I enjoy it when you come. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter 7. I'm missing out, she said. Single female who considered her life of singleness. I'm missing out. I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on love. I'm afraid that I'm going to miss out on marriage. I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on intercourse, on intimacy, on that kind of relationship. I'm missing out. And then, like the satellite debris orbiting the earth in gravity, if you've seen it, here comes Valentine's Day, seeking to destroy whom it will. Once again, orbiting this earth, reminding me that I don't have, making me feel like there's something wrong with me. Is it me? Is it that I just haven't met someone? Is it that I'm ugly? Is it that I'm not... uh, Handsome enough, successful enough, funny enough. Or maybe, maybe it's spiritual. Maybe I don't uh, love God enough. I'm not satisfied in God enough. And so God is withholding a spouse from me. One single female blogger said it this way. She said, there are a lot of girls out there, speaking of single girls, who don't know who God is anymore. The God of their youth group years just isn't working out. Back then, that God said to wait for sex until they're married, until he brings the right man along for a husband. They signed a card, they put it on the altar, and they pledged to wait, and wait, they did. And wait, and wait. And then they waited. You may have been told once that once you're fully satisfied in God, then God will give you a spouse. The reason God hasn't given you a spouse yet is because He wants to teach you something. You need to learn something. And rest assured that when you are satisfied with God, that God will bless you with a spouse. And then as one uh, single adult exclaimed, every wedding invitation comes to me like a dagger. The blogger continues, she says, you're right, God, they say. 
we're not satisfied in you yet. We will put you first, and then you can bring us a husband in your timing. But many of them, if they're honest, will tell you that 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 time has passed. And it's wrecking their view of God. If this is who God is supposed to be, then he's tragically late. So some to decide to chuck waiting out the window. And possibly their virginity with it, church goes next, God might go next too. What in the world is God doing? Now ironically, my single brothers and sisters, that is the best question to ask. What in the world is God doing? For when we know the answer to that question, it it helps us to understand singleness. We're in 1 Corinthians 7 this morning. For those of you who are new this morning, we are tracking through Corinthians one chapter at a time. And today, it just so happens, wasn't planned this way, on Valentine's Day we fall on chapter 7, which has to do with singleness. As Montrell would say, look at God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul makes a shift here and he begins to address various questions that were asked of him in a letter sent by the Corinthian church. So now he's getting to the stuff that they wanted to talk about. He says in verse 1, look at it, he says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So all the previous six chapters, that's stuff that Paul wanted to talk about. All right, now concerning the stuff about which you wrote. Quote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now the translator adds those quotation marks if you see in, uh, in, in your Bible. There are no quotation marks in the original Greek language. There aren't any kind of punctuation uh, marks. However, this is a good addition by the translator. Uh, if you have uh, an NIV or an ESV, uh, you'll see quotation marks around that phrase, it is good for a man not to, not to have sexual relations with a woman. Why is that good to, that the translator chose to put quotation marks around that phrase? It's because most likely Paul is addressing or quoting a line right out of their letter. So let's talk about the things that you wrote, and now he quotes it or addresses the issue that they had brought up that they wanted him to talk about. We're going to see this throughout uh, the chapter in chapter 8, verse 1, now concerning food offered to idols, chapter uh, 12, now concerning spiritual gifts. And so he's addressing these various topics. He's addressing this first topic. See, in the Corinthian culture, there were a number of philosophies. One of them said that, uh, that it is good to not have intercourse with a woman. All right, so husbands um, don't have intercourse with a woman because they are icky. All right, true ancient philosophy that was circulating at the time. Is that that true, Paul? Should we not have intercourse with our wives? But then on the flip side, you had this this, uh, licentious uh, problem where everybody's going to prostitutes and and uh, not, not just having relations with their, their w- woman, but also their father's wife, as we saw. So what Paul does is he brings up the question that they asked, and then he writes what we have as 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is a huge chapter that covers all sorts of things. Marriage, uh, singleness, singles who are going to be married, singles who are not going to be married, people who are uh, in marriages to, uh, uh, where, they're, where they're married to an unbeliever, widows, widows who remarry, widows who don't remarry. Meaning this chapter applies to every single one of us. If you are human this morning, you're going to get something as I read this chapter. All right, So it's 40 verses long. It's going to be a, a, a somewhat long read right now, but I'm going to read the whole chapter. Now, this is how we're going to do it. Instead of just hitting this one chapter this week, we're going to take chapter 7, we're going to talk about it this week, and we're going to talk about it next week because it's so diverse and so broad. This week, we're going to root in and focus on singleness. Next week, we're going to root in and focus on marriage and divorce, all right? But as I read it, you'll see the, the breadth of it, and I pray that God might even speak to you and apply it to you, no matter who you are, what state of life you're in, uh, even as I read. Cool? Follow along in your Bibles as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me take a drink before this one here. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not, be de- do, not, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were a- as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if if they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry. For it is better for them to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it were, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord assigned to them and to which God has called them. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of, the, of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anybody at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Let him... Uh, let neither circumcision counts for neither circumcision, I'm sorry, counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. 
Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom and your, uh, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was called when a bondservant of... Likewise, he who was free was called as a bondservant to Christ. You were brought, bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain there with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has come, has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of the world is, world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the world, how to please God. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, upon you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is not a sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Don't you love that last verse 48? Three overarching truths as we begin. Number one, marriage is good. In verse 7, you can see it right there. He calls marriage, as well as singleness, a gift, a charisma. They, marriage is a good gift from God. God, in the beginning, created male and female and brought them together, and, and they became one flesh. And so you could say, in many ways, we were created uh, for marriage. Um, that's overarching truth number one. Marriage is good, the quick application here, uh, to just simply downplay marriage, as the culture does in many ways today, isn't helpful to anybody, singles or marrieds. Number two, the world is not as it should be. Um, the world is off. Things are, are strange. We're not living in the way that we were created to live. 
So what that means is this. Marriage is not the answer. Married or unmarried, we are all going to trudge through life with many difficulties and many problems. I love my wife. We've been married for 10 years, and I can say this. Marriage is not the answer to all of your problems. I don't think marriage is the answer to really any problems. Marriage is not the answer. Jess, would you agree? It's just not the answer. And I, and I love my wife. Married people struggle with the same things that single people struggle with. Often we think, man, if I, if I get married, I won't be lonely anymore. There's no greater loneliness than the, than the loneliness of a godless marriage. Oh, if I get married, I won't struggle with lust anymore. I would say pastorally speaking, there are as many married men and, and women struggling with lust as there are single. If I get married, I will be happy. Married equals happy. Married people, raise your hand if that's 100% all the time true. Uh, the old phrase, the unhappiest, person in the, the unhappiest person in the world is not a single person. The unhappiest person in the world is someone who's married and in a bad marriage. So, okay, God created us in some ways for marriage, meaning, so single people, if you have the desire for marriage, it's good. I mean, you're, that means you're human, all right? It means that you were created by God. But number two, nothing is the way it should be. And so whether you're married or whether you're single, life is going to be hard. And we are all pilgrims and foreigners and soldiers in this war. Um, Number three overarching truth, singleness is complex. So even, even just preparing a message on singleness, focusing on Paul's remarks here, it's not easy because a college-aged single person is just in a different world and a different set of challenges than a divorcee in her 50s. A single person who is uh, engaged to be married and, uh, and burning with passion for their, uh, their girlfriend is in a different world and, and has a different set of challenges than the single person who is attracted to the same gender and is trying to figure out what to do with that as a Christian. A single person who has children, maybe a single mom with two children, has a different set of challenges than a man in his 30s who has never known a woman. So this is why we as a church don't have a singles ministry. Because what would we do? So where do we begin? Let's, let's begin where Paul begins. Sound good? Let me actually say this. I'm not qualified to talk to you singles about singleness. All right? I'm not one of these married people that believes that just because I got married that I can tell all the single people how to live life and take the next steps in life toward a happy marriage or whatever. Um, I uh, have been single. 
uh, I met, Jess was my first girlfriend, and so until about age 18, almost 19, I was single. So I know what it's like to be single in high school, <laughs> which is no joke, though. Amen? <laughs> I mean, everybody's got somebody in high school, except for me. Um, so I'm not standing up here on my own wisdom, trying to say, this is, this is everything that I know, and I'm passing this on to you. Um, I am... I, I am speaking down to you, physically speaking, um, but not emotionally or spiritually in any capacity. What I want to do is just present what the Bible says, and I'm going to try to do it in the order that Paul does it. Does that sound good? So where do we begin? Let's just start where Paul began in addressing uh, singleness. So number one, singleness isn't an excuse for immorality. Verses 2 through 6, if you look at chapter 7, verses 2 through 6 address sexual relations within marriage, and we'll talk more about that next week. But look what Paul does in verse 7. He says, I wish that everybody uh, was the way I am, and Paul was single. He says, but everybody has their own gift from God. So some have the gift of marriage, others the gift of singleness. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am, but look at verse 9. If they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Today, if marriage and happiness, quote-unquote, is not the goal that you're going for, we could say that uh, single and seductive is today's goal. Meaning, be single and have fun. Be single and enjoy yourself. Be single. You're not tied down to one person, but you can just have multiple boyfriends or girlfriends and hookups and just do whatever you want to do. The world may not scoff at singleness today as much as it scoffs at sexual purity. Calling it prude. Prudish, calling it uh, unnatural. So love singleness and just have fun with your sexuality. Look what Paul says in verse 36. He goes on. He says, If anybody thinks that he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be then, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying immorality is just never an option when it comes to singleness. So he's saying, those of you who are betrothed, or in our culture today, we could call that engaged, maybe, to be married. Some, some minor differences. Those of you who are engaged, if you are like magnets, and you walk in a room together, and boom, like you cannot keep your hands off of each other, Paul is saying, just get married. It's not a sin, he says. You can do it. And you say, well, we don't have the money for a wedding right now. Look, one of the most beautiful weddings that I've been a part of was a wedding that we had in the park on Utah, the Matheson wedding. And they threw a block party, and they had blow-ups, and they had, they had uh, food that they gave away to the community. It was wonderful. Now, you don't even have to afford the blow-ups and the food to give away to the community. We could just use the park, all right? You don't really need a lot of money for the ceremony. We could use the school. We could uh, borrow a, a friend's church. I've got friends that are pastors with, in churches that have steeples, you know, that kind of <laughs> church building. 
we could do it there if you need a steeple, uh, stained glass, whatever. Um, or we could, uh, we could do it. I did, a, I did a wedding on the edge of a cornfield. The sun was setting, just the family members and the couple. It was beautiful. Paul says, if you're, if you're burning with passion, if you can't keep, what are you doing? You're already pretending like you're married. Just get married. Oh, you don't like her? Then break up with her. <laughs> He's not a godly man? Then get away from him. Are you kidding me? And then go find a godly man and marry him. Or go find a godly woman and marry her. Well, I can't find a godly woman or man my age. The Bible doesn't say anything about age requirements. <laughs> find an older woman or an older man or a younger man or a younger woman and marry them. It's okay. But I'm not really attracted. You will be. You, you, you will be. You become attracted to the person that you choose to love. And I say that in truth. Find a godly man and a, or a godly woman and just simply get married if you're burning with passion. So, immorality is just simply never an option. Now, if you are single, this is not an excuse to say, well, I don't have the ability to, to control myself, and so then I'll just continue to not control myself until I get married. No, the Bible commands you to control yourself. Self-control is commanded. Richard Sibbs, a Puritan, he, he, he uh, said this in his book, uh, The Bruised Reed. Let me read it to you. He said, God knows that we have nothing of ourselves. Therefore, He requires no more than He gives, and He gives everything that He requires. What does that mean? means this, God's not going to require more of you than He gives you, and God will give you everything that He requires. So if God requires self-control, and you don't feel like you're naturally able to, guess what? As you grow in the Lord, God will give you self-control. God's grace is sufficient. He will give you the strength that you need. You, you have strong desires and strong urges and there is no one in view and you can't find a godly man and you can't find a godly woman. God will give you the minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, self-control that He requires. You are attracted to the same gender and you cannot imagine what life will be like if you choose celibacy, if you sacrifice a relationship. God gives no more than He requires and He gives uh, ex exactly what He requires. And if God is requiring of you self-control, friends, God will give you that grace. Amen. And He will give you the strength that you need. Alright, so, with that as Paul's foundation, alright, we've kind of taken care of all of those people. Alright? So, those people who should be married, all right? Everybody just say, get married. Everybody say it right now. Get married, get married all right? Uh, single people, you don't have, if, if you don't have someone in view, like you, you haven't found a godly man or a godly woman right now, um, these, these people that we know that should just get married, can you please just tell them, just get married? Can you stop complaining? Can you stop bemoaning yourself? Just, look, you guys, just get married, all right? All right. 
so we've taken care of those people. Now what we'll do, let's, let's talk uh, singleness for those who don't have someone in view right now. Maybe they will get married, maybe not, but, but for right now, singleness is um, their, their, uh, their option. Let's begin with this question. Why are you single? Why are you single? Now, we can answer that in a thousand different ways. Some might say that uh, I'm single because I haven't found someone. I'm single because I live in the wrong uh, zip code. I, I'm single because I made some mistakes early on. I'm single because I'm getting too old. Why are you single? Look what Paul says. Number, th- this is number two. So number, number one is singleness is an excuse for immor- immorality. Sing- number two, singleness is an assignment and a calling. Look at verse 17 of chapter 7. 17 through 26. He says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to to them and to which God has called them. Let's just stop right there. We get too mystical about this idea of God's calling on our life. Let me give you an example. Uh, A friend of mine, uh, he's he's a little bit older than me, and he was uh, telling me one day that he knows that he's been called to be a pastor. He said, I was called as a child to be a pastor. I know that I'm called to be a pastor, but no church has invited me to be their pastor. I'm not pastor. I don't know what the problem, I don't know what's going on. What's the issue? I know that I'm called to be a pastor, but those doors haven't opened up. My response was this, and I said this in as loving a way as possible. I said, brother, that means that God hasn't called you to be a pastor, at least not right now. Now you get an opportunity, doors open up and you step into that and, oh, guess what? All of a sudden you realize, I'm called to be a pastor. In the same way, we could, we could kind of apply that and say, so, so often we, we might hear uh, something like, I'm not called to singleness. I feel like I'm called to marriage. But we have to ask ourselves, first, are we married? Do we have the opportunity to get opportunity to get married? If the answer is no, then brother and sister, we're currently in this season of life called to singleness. Now let me show you how this call is actually liberating. He says there in verse 17, he says uh, that we should each remain uh, in the position that the Lord has assigned to us, that God has a called us to. And then for the next few verses, he gives some examples. He says, if you've been circumcised, don't try to change it. If you haven't been circumcised, don't worry about getting circumcised. And everybody says, amen. (laughs) Because it doesn't matter. Keeping the commandments of God is what matters, he says. And then he goes on and he says, were you a a bondservant or or a servant or a slave? Um, Don't don't seek your freedom because guess what? You're already free in Christ. And he says, if you were free uh, in Christ, recognize that you are actually a slave to Christ. Um, And then he says in verse 24, so brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Whatever condition each was called, let him remain there with God. Why are you single? Typical responses, I haven't met someone I haven't found a godly man, and that might be true. There's, there's truth to that. 
Some might say I'm, I, I might be ugly. That's probably not true. Some might say I'm, I'm just not lucky enough. That's definitely not true. Why are you single? Here's the answer that Paul gives us. You're single because God has, for this season of your life, assigned you this role. God has, in this season of your life, called you to singleness. And this assignment makes all the difference in the world. We might go through scratching our heads wondering why we're living the life that we're living and then we have a secret meeting with the king and he says, I've put you there. I've assigned you this role. We are in a war that you don't know anything about and you fit right now really well in this assignment. I've assigned you to this season. I've called you to this role in your life. Verse 24, let me read it once again. He says, So, brothers and sisters, whatever condition you were called in, let them remain there with God. Now, what does this mean for, for, for those of you who are currently single? Number one, it means this. These, the, the, the following phrases that I'm about to say are just wrong. You're single because you're ugly. That's wrong. All right? You're single because you haven't been looking hard enough. That's wrong. You're single because you're in the wrong city. You're single because God has something against you. That's wrong. This idea that you must first be 100% satisfied in God, and then once you're there, then God will bless you with a spouse, sounds more like the prosperity gospel than it does the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has a wonderful assignment for your life in this season. He has a wonderful calling for your life. So the first thing that that means is just simply that all of those other reasons why you're single are just wrong. Number two, this means that God has a purpose for your singleness. He's got a purpose for you. And as soon as you begin to realize that God has an, this is an assignment from God, this is a certain kind of calling from God, and that God has a purpose for your singleness, things just begin to change. Number three, it also means that life doesn't begin once you're married. In Bible college, one of the things that they tell all of us students that pass through is, don't wait until you're paid by a church to start ministry. Life begins now. This is some of the best counsel I've ever received. My single friends, life begins now. Don't wait until you're married to begin life. I think one of the most dangerous places for us to be is on pause. One of the most dangerous places for us to be is to say that our life is currently on hold because I don't have this yet, and so I can't begin living. And so then what happens is we begin to focus on ourselves and our own desires, and we become inward-focused and narcissistic. No. Pursue your passions now. Fight for your vision now. Be about thing, the things of God now. Invest in relationships now. Life doesn't begin then. 
You're living life now. Not your best life. You're living life now. You're living out your future right now. Enjoy the life that God has given you. Cultivate relationships. Spend the emotional energy that you have in pouring into friends and family and maybe some people that need a friendship. Build community. Invest in the gospel. Whether this assignment that you currently have from the Lord is for a season, a short season, or whether this is an assignment for life, live your life now. And recognize this, you are right now 100%. You are a son or a daughter of the king. God has adopted you into his family. You have found the only identity that you will ever have, and that is the identity of belonging to Christ. And nothing, not even marriage, will change that. Number three, singleness is a gift. Look back at verse 7. Let me point, point this out once again to you. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has their own charisma or gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So not some have a gift and others don't have a gift, but everybody, single or married, has a gift, either the gift of marriage or the gift currently of singleness. Now, as we see in verse 9, he then warns against losing control and giving in to your passions. Often, the way that we misunderstand this gift of singleness is we, we believe that it's all about a lack of desire, meaning I have the gift of singleness, and so therefore, I don't desire to have intercourse. I don't desire intimacy. I don't desire love. I don't desire a relationship. Friends, if you fall into that category, you are dead. You don't have the gift of singleness. The gift of singleness is not just simply the fact that you are a eunuch or can be a nun or a monk. The gift of singleness is actually a gift, not a lack, but it's something that you have. It's a gift. And if you are single, you have the gift right now of singleness. Now let me show you how Paul defines this gift of singleness. Look at verse 26. Verse 26, he says, let me find it in my Bible. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, let's back up to 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who is uh, uh, by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in the present, uh, in view, I can't read, of the present distress, everybody say distress. It is good for a person to remain as he is. Why? Because Paul is seeing something that we previously didn't see in life. Why is it good, he's saying, to remain single? Because there is a distress that our eyes have now been opened to. 
In verse 26, he says, he, he calls it a distress or uh, a, 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 a tribulation, a problem. There's a, there's a shortness to this life. In verse 28, he talks about troubles or tribulations. Verse 29, he says that time is short. What Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying it's best to remain as you are because everything has changed. Everything has changed and, and what we thought life was has proven to be something entirely different. We used to believe that this life was it. And now we believe that this life is quickly fading. Now we've realized that we are pilgrims on a journey, that we are foreigners passing through a strange land, that we are soldiers in an eternal war. And there is a new urgency to life. The things that we once valued are different. We once believed that this life was all about enjoying the most we can get out of this life. We once believed that then because of that we have to do what married people do and get married. And Paul is saying, look, everything has changed. This life matters, but in a way totally differently, entirely differently, than we used to believe it mattered. There is a distress. It's as if we are on an airplane, and everybody's sitting in their seats, buckled up nicely, uh, uh, drinking their coffee and eating their, uh, what do you call them, biscottis, biscoffs, what do they serve on Southwest? Love those little cookies. And they're just chilling, having a good time, and you're looking out the window, and you, you, all of a sudden your eyes have been opened to something that nobody else sees. This plane is in a nosedive, and you are being hurled to the ground. Nobody else realizes it, but everything now has changed for you. What happens in the plane, like somebody's in the back getting married, what's happening, like, are you guys kidding, like, do you realize the distress of the situation? Do you realize the urgency of the situation? And now you become uh, all about getting as many people off this plane as possible before it crashes into the ground. This is the picture that Paul has of the world. And so Paul is saying, in view of what we now know, that, that pursuing the things of this life is really just kind of... <laughs> Foolish, in a sense, to make it all about this life, pursuing what we now know. I think it's better for you just to remain single. He's saying, I, I think it's better, actually, for you to remain as you are. So, so this is the gift of singleness, I, I believe, according to Paul. He's saying this. The gift of singleness is this. You can live in this foreign world and be more focused on the kingdom of God than on temporal, earthly matters. Look how he explains it. Look in verse 28. He says, I think it's, or uh, verse 28, he says, but if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she hasn't, hasn't sinned. Yet, those who marry will have troubles, will have worldly, earthly troubles. And I would like to spare you that. Those who are married and, and uh, often have families just simply have more earthly things to worry about. Children, a blessing. 
but anybody who has children says children are also a sacrifice. Just think of your own relationship with your parents. What a sacrifice you have been for them. Um, worrying about providing a house, uh, money going out the window as quickly as you can bring it in, uh, trying to feed four, five, six mouths every day. There are just more earthly troubles. Um, time now that needs to be spent alone with your spouse, just a, 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 like an, a relationship that you must invest in. Uh, marriage problems, marriage counseling. How many might be crippled in their ministry because things are crippled at home? A bank, which is a bank account, which is now shared. And we have to figure that out. There are just temporal things of this life that distract married people from the urgency of the situation, that distract married people from really the things that matter in life. There are temporal things of this life which married people focus on and we are now tempted to forget that we are foreigners passing through. Single people, I know it's a sacrifice, but a unique gift and perspective that you have is that you will not forget that you are a foreigner passing through a strange world. Look at what he says in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the, unmarried, uh, but the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. And then he turns that and applies that to unmarried women and married women. What he's saying is, is that single, uh, uh, single people foc- can focus on this one question, how to please the Lord, whereas Married people have to say, how do I please my wife? Now, this is true. I'll, I'll say that. I'll testify to that. To that. As, as a married man, I can't just simply say what will please the Lord. I have to also say what will also please my wife. I couldn't just move to Baltimore and, and give up a job and start working on this community uh, if my wife wasn't behind it and we delayed it for a while because of that. I can't um, be out every Friday night, or I, let me just say, I can't be out every Friday night. So <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just leave it at that. There are, there are relational investments that are now required as we seek to please our spouse. I can't just give $2,000 away out of our bank account if I, on a whim, feel like it. I can't just up and move. I can't just, uh, or I should say it's harder for me to save money and maybe, uh, maybe move uh, and spend time overseas for three months. Because I have to ask myself, what will please my wife? And friends, um, anybody, Christian ministry or not, who says that the things pleasing the Lord is going to take precedence over pleasing my wife, and I'm going to bulldoze my marriage in the process of pursuing good things, is in sin. There is a responsibility that married people are called to. Now, he's saying single people, you're freed from that. 
you can ask this question and be about this answer. How might I use my life and my resources and my time to please the Lord? And then we see in verse 40 this kind of funny verse. She can get married fine, but I think she'll just, she would just be happier if she remains as she is. This begins to make sense. Because if we can spend our life asking and answering this one question, how might I please the Lord, how happy will that person be? When we please the Lord and we, do, we live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, guess what? We have more joy in life. We have more satisfaction in life. We have more pleasure in life. It's not pleasing anyone else that brings us ultimate pleasure, but it's pleasing the Lord. And Paul says, oh, how happy will this person be? The gift of singleness is now that you can be about the things that truly matter. You are uniquely gifted to sow seeds that will grow not just in this earth, but seeds that will grow in eternity. You can store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust decay, nor thieves break in and steal. Some of the most generous people that I know are single people. Some of the the people that I've known that have made the biggest dent in the kingdom of darkness are single people. One young man I know gives away thousands of dollars every year, not because he has a lot, but because he can. Because he's living a simple life and he doesn't have a family to support. And he's helping all sorts of people. Another single female that I know opens her home regularly and uses her ability to cook to bless many, many people and has made an impact on the lives of many individuals. I think of some folks who uh, our church currently supports, like Sarah Montoya in Seattle. How could she just up and leave and go to Seattle? Or Elliot Dodge. I'm out. I'm going to Lebanon. He decided like three months before he was going to Lebanon and he was going to go. How do you do that? (laughs) He's uniquely gifted to be about a life seeking and answering this question. How might I please the Lord? This church was largely started by single people. Married people, people with kids, they didn't really want to give us the time of day. We got too much we're banking on in this life. Single people, they had had the emotional energy. They had the time to invest. Now, I know someone right now is saying, great. So Joel is saying, not only am I called to singleness, but now I have to spend every night at the church. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. No, that's not what I am saying. And that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is this. Instead of being, putting your life on pause and just being about the things of this world and temporal matters, God has, for whatever reason in His sovereignty, appointed you in this season, whether short or long, He has appointed you for this season because there are things that matter more. There are people at your job who you need to develop a relationship with because there are things that matter more. Jesus is coming back. Amen? Amen. 
Do you know that when Jesus comes back, do you know what the language is that's used to describe that day? It's a marriage. The picture is that Jesus is indeed coming back as our groom. And we, all of those who have repented of our sins, we have seen the cross, and the cross for us hasn't been something that we mock, but it's been something that we've been attracted to, drawn to, and love. Why? Because when we see the cross, we see our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was crucified for the forgiveness of our sins, and the great reversal happened that day in which we were given His righteousness, and we were saved of our sins, and we were washed, and we were made clean by the blood of Christ, and all who repent of their sins and trust in that says are saved and are raised on that last day. And guess what we are raised to? We are raised to this marriage. We are caught up together as the bride of Christ and we are presented beautifully to the bride. Now, the joy, the oneness, and the unity that a husband and wife today experience at the climax of their sexual relations is a mere glimpse into the unity and the oneness and the joy that you will experience forever and ever and ever. Marriage today is a mere picture of the marriage that is taking place between God and man. Friends, single friends, brothers and sisters, we learn from you. We, we are inspired by you. As you keep your eyes fixed on that day that is to come, as you keep your eyes fixed on the finish line and you run a good race, as you keep your eyes finished on the marriage and that unity and that oneness and that joy that will be ours, you inspire us and we learn from you. And I as a married man want to just simply say this. With the view of that relational climax of all eternity in mind, you're not going to miss out on a thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into this word. We thank you for 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We thank you for the gift of singleness. And while often it's something that we bemoan, something that we complain about, or something that uh, maybe we... Uh, um, I don't know, uh, believe is, is off or wrong. We, we thank you for the fact that, that it's not uh, just by chance, not random, but that you have uh, appointed uh, folks to a season of singleness. And whether that is temporary or whether that is long-term, God, I ask that they uh, steward the, the, uh, this, this appointment, this calling well, and that they enjoy life that they find their fulfillment and their identity in Christ and that they live with the marriage in view. Father, we pray for those who are burning with passion and they have a godly man or a godly woman 
that they are connected with, we ask that they just get married. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.